podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Another week with the window open means it's time to hear from Tadiwa and Justin on the uh, transfer window and some rumors. Uh, I'm Justin. With me, as always, is Tadiwa. And uh, we're just going to go right into it today to just start discussing uh, some of the some of the international football that's being played in this summer, which has actually been surprisingly uh, you know, fun, considering I'm not usually a huge international football guy. But um, the question is going to be a better goal celebration for me, you know, with uh, the no look or the U.S. women after about, like, their 12th goal against Thailand. Hey, what's up, buddy? Yeah, it's it seems like there's, there's a story every single day with, with the Women's World Cup, so it's been exciting to to see, um, to watch some of the games, watch some of the highlights where I've missed some of the games. So it seems like it's been a good World Cup so far, um, as, as distant as I have been from watching it. But I have been able to see most of England's games, They've, they've looked pretty decent. Um, I think they're yet to be tested, so we'll see how far how far they can go. Yeah, I mean, the, there's one thing about about watching England. Clearly, I'm not rooting for them because obviously I'm American, and this is you know the, the thing that we're really good at in this sport is the Women's World Cup and general women's international play for the U.S. team. Uh, but I, it's been an exciting tournament. I think that this is, I think I prefer the Women's World Cup to the Men's World Cup at this point. Uh, it feels like everything's just, uh, feels like the quality of play is a bit better. Feels like it's more entertaining. 13 nils aside. That, that was, I mean, that was weird. <laughs> That's basically the only thing I can say is that was weird. But there's a few teams that really look like they could go on to win this thing. The English women look good. The American women look good. Uh, Norway always has a very, very tough squad. Brazil has a tough squad. China has a tough squad. Japan has a tough squad. Like, there feels like there's a lot more parity in the Women's World Cup than the Men's World Cup, which has been recently more a, uh, the anointing of, uh, of a country's golden generation. Like, you felt throughout this World Cup, it was France's. You felt in 2014, it was time for, uh, it was time for Germany. You felt in 2010, it was a Spanish coronation. So I think the parody is a lot more fun. Would you would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I, I think I'd have to agree, and I don't know if it's because maybe we we don't watch or keep as close an eye um, as as opposed to the male game, perhaps maybe. But from you know reading up on the teams coming into the tournament and then just being able to watch them play, it does seem like it's quite open, and there are quite a few strong teams and you can see even the teams that necessarily don't have the star players they're very well coached and very well disciplined like as you said japan really impressed me not necessarily with all the star players but just the organization that the team had the shape they were showing so it seems like there are quite a few really really good um good teams out there which makes it exciting especially for for neutrals um there's a lot to cheer for Agreed. And have you been watching any of the, uh, you know, the, I, I don't consider the Nations League in answering this, so just exclude it because I think it's just a way for you, way for to try to make more money. But, um, have you seen any of the, uh, Gold Cup or the Copa America or the Africa Cup of Nations? I've 
tentatively started watching some of the African Cup of Nation games as it started recently. So um, I've been able to catch a few of those games. My biggest concern with that is the heat at the moment at the, at the stadiums. It, I'm, I suppose, putting my Liverpool shoes on. I'm sitting there thinking, if like a Mohamed Salah goes far in this tournament, what's that going to do to his you know season going forward? But um, obviously, you're not going to tear him away from trying to win a cup with, with Egypt. Uh, so yeah, that, that will be interesting to, to see. And then I think my favorite of the tournaments that, that are lined up has always been like the under-21 tournaments, just to keep an eye on some of the young talent that's coming through. Um, you see guys like, you know, the Danny uh, Kabalos's just confirming their dominance at that age group and, and proving that they, they really are talents. Obviously, Phil Foden being another one where you know these guys, you've heard about them and you, you know, you've guessed their potential stars and seeing how well they, they do. I'll never forget. Um, I became a huge fan of Harvey Martinez after watching him play under 21s and under 23s for Spain and he, just dominated the tournament and you can see similarities in terms of the dominance with like a Danny Caballos. So that's been fun to watch. Yeah. For me, it's been a lot more. I've been watching the uh, gold cup, particularly the U S men's game uh, alongside also the women's world cup as discussed. And then uh, because they're at a really suitable time for me, hour wise, I've been, I've been watching a bunch of the Copa America. Um, I saw some of Brazil's game last night. They looked pretty dominant in that one. Uh, then you know the, the tournament being hosted in Brazil, you'd expect that they'd actually put on a good showing, and they'd been lackluster thus far, but uh, showed up when they needed to. Uh, the the fun story for me in this tournament or, is Argentina because of the fact that it's always fun right now to see exactly how they're going to screw themselves over. <laughs> yeah, that's and true. almost losing to Paraguay was uh, was big for them. They they uh, I mean they have to rely on Colombia, who are qualified for the the knockout stages. And probably we're going to want to rest players against an actually decent Paraguay side while they, it, while they have to go out and play cutter. It could come down to goal difference for them. And they just have to hope that, that, um, they destroy cutter, which they should. The other thing I love about the Copa America is just the random invitations of teams. So it's like you have your South American teams and then this year, cutter and Japan. <laughs> yeah. The Qatar one, I'm not going to touch, but yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's solely, I mean, it's being done to get them in interna- international tournaments before the World Cup, right? Like, because yeah. they're going to have this this summer. Next summer, I don't think there's much. Then you get in 2021, the, uh, no, next summer's a, oh, no, next summer you have, uh, the European Championships. Never mind. And then, uh, summer after that, you have the Confederations Cup. So if Qatar is going to get two big, two international tournament precursors to the World Cup coming, uh, this summer and in 2021, uh, I I don't expect much out of them. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair, fair statement to make. <laughs> yeah, but now into uh, you know the reason we're actually here, talk about the transfer window. Um, this week there was a little bit of a hubbub in uh, in Liverpool circles. How much of this is manufactured? I'd probably say 95, percent but I also want it to be 100 percent true. Uh, Kylian Mbappe going out to uh, Los Angeles. Hanging with the king, admitting that he plays as Liverpool on in FIFA. Uh, so, I guess the question isn't so much, you know, are we going to get him? What are his wages going to be? Or uh, how? What's the transfer fee? It's uh, which which shirt number do you give him? <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna be interesting to see. Um, and also, who would he be wrestling it off? 
Um, is, is he someone that you automatically give a, give a number regardless of what, you know, who's wearing it at the moment? Or if it's, let's say, a Mohamed Salah, you'd assume he's not wrestling that off. He's not getting 9, 10, or 11. Yeah, I think, I think that's, I think he, he could live with that. Maybe give him 14. Oh, wait, that's Henderson's. Yeah, you're not, oh, he's see. not, he's not getting Henderson. I mean, we, we both know the number that you give a man like Killian Mbappe in Liverpool, but you also, uh, have to take it off of, uh, take it off of James Milner first, right? I think James Milner will be willing. He seems like a team player. So <laughs> maybe, maybe he would be willing to give it up. And interestingly enough, if we are moving as rumored to Nike, um, moving forward and Kylian Mbappe being a big ambassador of Nike, um, you can just imagine they would want a specific number for him that that's quite marketable. That number seven. Pretty iconic, <laughs> right? Keegan, Dalglish, Suarez, Mbappe, Mbappe, <laughs> Milner. It just sounds all too good. Cool. Oh my! I mean, about- we've had we've had some mediocre number sevens between McKenny left and basically Suarez. Yeah, yeah. But um, I guess the question is, if we were to buy Kylian Mbappe, and let's just you know, let's let's entertain the fantasy for a short period of time. How does he fit in? I think he probably pushes Firmino deeper or he, yeah, I can see him where, you know, maybe the best game I could look at is remember when we played West Ham away, um, where we played sort of that four, two, two, two system. Um, and Oxlade had a really good game, but maybe having like Mbappe and Firmino up front with Salah and Mane on the wings could be an interesting way to play. And then depending on certain games, one of them might have to drop up, drop out if you need more industry in midfield. But I think one thing's for sure is first and foremost, that's what you pay managers the big bucks for just to solve that kind of issue. And then also this is now a squad game. You can't, you can't not sign a player because your favorite player plays in a specific position if Mbappe comes in and he takes Firmino out of the team, it means he's playing really, really well. And I personally don't have a problem with that. And I know as big a favorite as Firmino has become, um, I'm not saying he automatically displaces him, but you want to have that argument. You want to not know who's starting because it's going to drive everyone even more. We need we need a squad next season considering City are even growing their squad. Yeah, yeah. And we can talk about City in a moment, but... uh you know, we, we absolutely need still, look, I, I, do I think it's going to be Killian Mbappe? No, but I think we do need to sign a starting quality forward, right? It can't be just bringing another Shakiri type, right? We have Shakiri and Origi. We know what they're going to do. I guess there's questions as to whether or not Origi starts the season with us next season, although I think he likely just sees his contract out. Um, yeah. But it needs to be another starting caliber forward. Now, if, uh, if it's, if it's Mbappe, then like, you know, we, we, that, that's, that's great. And, uh, and I'm really excited about that. But if it's, you know, if it's, it's more likely not, it's probably going to be someone like, you'd hope someone like a Nicholas Pepe who can fill in at one of the two roles that we need, we'd need him to striker or, you know, cutting in from, from the, from the, uh, from the right, like Mo does, or you have, uh, or, or you go out and get someone like a Timo Werner who is, offers you something that you don't 
have, but still gives you a lot of industry. But I do think that the player that we need to sign needs to be, absolutely be a starter. Right? I cannot cannot agree with you and stress it more. Right? I think that's probably the only area where I think we need to buy a nailed-on starting quality player. Right? If we improved and bought another center back, I would be okay with it. Right? But I think you know an attacking player is where we need space. And I guess the you know I, I think we're going to see links to Bruno Fernandez all summer until he signs with someone because he does seem to fit what we would do. I think the Fakir links aren't going to go away. But ultimately, what we need is just a player who we know is basically a class above targeting, you know, a Lalana. Yeah, I, I think so. And and the thing is, even speaking on a Lalana, from his perspective, and I suppose this goes on to like our discussion last week on Man United of trying to get rid of of, of players is if I'm a Lalana and I've got one year left of my Liverpool contract with the way this team is going at Liverpool, the chance of being able to have, you know, medals in, in my cabinet and then considering next year I'll be a free target. Maybe that's the, the only way he'll be able to keep the type of wages he's on now because I don't see a team being able to, to, to pay a transfer fee and matches wages. Whereas if he's coming on a free, um, obviously with the compensation package, I think it's easier for a team to match the wages that he's currently on. So you could see why players like that, well, from my perspective, I'm his agent. I could see me giving that type of argument. But then, yeah, as, as you said, in terms of Liverpool, it has to be a player that can come into that front three and we don't notice too big a difference in in the, the the quality of player that's coming in, um, and as you said, a Nicolas Pepe or someone out wide for me, a natural winger than necessarily even a forward striker, purely because for me we can't forget that we've got Brewster at the squad, and if we're going to live up to what we claim to be in terms of giving youngsters a chance, I don't mind necessarily having you know a Firmino. Origi, uh, Brewster, purely as the strikers. And then obviously you can have a Salah and even a Mane chip in there if need be, or a, if you bring in a Memphis Depay or whatever, whatever. But there needs to be a pathway for Brewster. And I think the best way to give a pathway to Brewster is by bringing in a natural winger than necessarily another striker. I, I happen to agree with you. And I also think that just... It's, it's, there's another aspect of why I agree with you, right? Cause the points you make are, I think they're all pretty accurate, but Mo Salah, Roberto Firmino, and Sadio Mane can all play as a striker. Yeah. It's, it's not, it, it's realistically, we have a lot of positional, uh, flexibility in what we can do up front. And in the name of positional flexibility, it segues great to the uh, next person we've been linked with. And this one actually seems to be, uh, Depending upon who you believe, pretty far down the path, um, Firpo from, uh, Real Batiste, who is a left back, but he plays, you know, he played as a, a left wing back in a three. He apparently can also play kind of as a left midfielder, or a left winger, or a center back. Uh, do you really know much about him? Cause, cause I don't. In fact, the first time I heard about him, heard of him was, uh, about three days ago. Cause I don't watch a yeah. lot of La Liga. No, yeah, which is fair. And, Obviously, playing for a team like Real Batiste, not many people would necessarily watch their games unless they're playing one of the bigger teams. And funny enough, one of his best games was probably um, when Real Batiste played Barcelona. Um, I think the score ended up 4-3, and he was involved in two, if not three, of the goals. 
Um, so the best thing to do is probably to compare him with an Andy Robertson because we, we see him week in, week out for Liverpool and we can familiarise with him. Um, I think he's a, play, he's a player that's very comfortable on the ball. Um, as, as has obviously been highlighted, he can play left back. Um, he played sort of left wing back for Betis because they had sort of like a 3-5-2 system. Um, so he was the le- left wing back there. And then he can also even play left wing. And I think one of the main reasons why he's more comfortable in being able to play left wing is if you look at his dribbling ability, he's very, very good with the ball at his feet, being able to pass, you know, opposition players and go around them. Um, I think he's almost double Andy, Andy Robinson's numbers when it comes to dribbling. So, in comparison, Robertson wouldn't necessarily take a man on. He's willing to put the ball in early, give you know, give those early crosses from from deep, um, have our strikers running onto it. Whereas maybe if you have a Furpo coming in, he would take it to the byline or try and go past the player, take it to the byline and cut it back towards the center of you know um, either the penalty spot or just outside the box. So. If, as has been led to believe that, you know, attacking midfield is a position we really wanted to fill in, you could see how a Furpo could make sense in that you have him attacking a defender and cutting the ball back. Then you have one of your midfielders running in late and finishing off those chances or even, you know, if he's taking on a defender and cutting it across the box. Um, so, yeah, so he's more, um, he's more creative in having the ball at his feet, whereas Robertson is more creative in his passing and his delivery so yeah and then obviously defensively he he looks okay um I I don't think our left back needs to be the greatest defensively considering you have a Virgil van Dijk in front of you but he is possible and he seems pretty decent he's he's quite good in the air um he's quite a tall bloke so it's good to have more height in the team as as it seems to be a factor in club picking teams um, so yeah, it seems like he would be a really, really good foil to Robertson. And especially the last point I think I'll raise is if you have, let's say the days that Trent Alexander-Arnold isn't playing on the right back, because Trent seems to be more the dribbler between Robertson and Trent. Um, so you could then flip it so that the team is attacking on the other side in terms of the, the creator then let's say whoever's playing right back, if it's a Gomez or, you know, God forbid, but if, if, if it's a Gomez that ends up playing right back, um, not to say that he's bad at it, I just prefer him in the middle. Um, Gomez wouldn't necessarily dribble past or go too far forward. Then you have a Furpo that can take a lot more of that responsibility to be the creative force coming down, you know, as we rely on our fullback. So he's a very interesting prospect. Um, Barcelona have kept a really, really strong eye on him. I'm surprised they didn't try and pick him up a bit earlier. I know last year, Barcelona were really, really keen on him. And for some reason, they didn't end up picking him up. Um, I, I never chased that up or looked up why they didn't end up picking him up. They were too busy fucking with Roma over Malcolm. <laughs> yeah, probably. probably. Yeah, they probably got their, their attention moved to something else. But yeah, he obviously the price, the after I think it was after that Barcelona game where his... Um, he signed a new contract and that 50 million euro um, buyout clause was put in his contract. So there is probably a, a high price to pay for him. But considering what he can offer in the foil, 
I think he could be a really, really interesting player for, for us going forward. Yeah, it could be interesting. I just don't think that, you know, I think saying that he can play center back, I think that's one of those things where you, you won't see him play center back, right? I, I don't think, I think he's being brought in to be kind of a utility player up the left side. Um, yeah, and but, you wouldn't, it, it's one of those things where if there's an, a major injury crisis, like let's say like a Fabinho has to play right back, like he can play there and he's played there before, but you don't want to be playing him there because you're taking away pretty much most of his best attributes. So uh, I think the, the it's just a nice thing for people to say in terms of, oh, he can play centre-back as well, but I, I doubt he'll he'll ever get to play there. Yeah, I mean, like, hypothetically, I can play centre-back. It doesn't mean I can do it well. <laughs> but if we're actually... It, it's funny that you mentioned Barcelona, because that kind of... So that's really all that Liverpool's been linked with lately. You know, there's there's tenuous links to uh, to other players, but the club has been very, very, very hush-hush. On uh, on what they might do uh, when it comes to other then, teams, though. Can I, go ahead. Can I just add in the last thing um, for the Firpo deal? It would have to be one of those Michael Edwards masterclasses. Having signed a, a a new contract recently, I think it's until twenty twenty three, and I think it's going to be a race between him and Lasalso, who we spoke about a couple of weeks back. Of who Batiste sell? I, I don't see them selling both. So it would then mean the only way we would be able to sign him would be activating the the transfer clause, which obviously, as as we've mentioned, paying that much for a left-back, considering what we've gotten out of Robertson and considering the, the, the prices of left-backs nowadays, it seems inflated. Um, so that that could become a, a factor, how how closely linked the Lo Salso transfer could be to whether one him or Lo Salso leave. And Lo Salso seems more likely at the moment to be heading out. It seems like it's also, it's, I think he's, you know, he's a bit older and it's time for him to make his move. Yeah. Yeah. But nonetheless, they also could be the same age. I haven't looked it up. I'm just assuming. Um, but you know, um, we, he's we, 22. Okay. So we mentioned, uh, Barcelona in there and, uh, guess who they're rumored to have coming back? None he, other than, none other than the, the, the man who's, uh, Trying to moder- uh, master the art form of uh, diving, Neymar Junior. Oh man, <laughs> I can't believe this merry-go-round is going all over again. I always thought that the point of him was to end up at Real Madrid and be the one to get booed in, at uh, at the new Camp like mercilessly. Yeah, that that was the plan when he left because uh, obviously when when he first came to Barcelona, it was between Barcelona and Real Madrid. Uh, which teams to go to, and he ends up going to Barcelona. And when he was looking to leave Barcelona, obviously there's now a truce between Real Madrid and Barcelona, so they can't sign each other's players. So the best way of orchestrating the deal was him going to PSG, playing a season or two there, and then once Cristiano Ronaldo, as they were weaning off Ronaldo, they were then going to introduce Neymar into into Madrid. Um, but it, it seems like Zidane coming back into the fold may have messed that kind of deal up. Um, so, yeah, I think if Zidane hadn't gone to Madrid, it could be a different story. But with him there, I don't see them signing Neymar from the looks of it. Um, so, yeah, I think that's where the Barcelona links come back in. Yeah, and I guess if you're Barcelona, do you do this? I don't, I don't know that I do. 
it, it seems like you, you'd be doing a favor to PSG if you're Barcelona. Should, uh, uh, that, that's the way I see it. I think one of the things people have to remember with Neymar is he started his, his career very, very young. I think at like 16 or something ridiculous like that. So he's played a lot of football and, you know, at, at his age now, I think he's 26, 27. Um, for a player that's already 27 years old, yeah, 27 in February, his peak is going to be a lot younger than most strikers' peaks, considering the amount of football that's under his legs and the amount of time he's played. So is he, you know what I mean? Strikers enter their peak between like 26 to 30. If he's 27 and he's been playing first-team football since 16, you might maybe say he entered his peaks, peak years around 24 to 28. So he could be in his last years of his peak. I think that's something that people really need to look at quite closely. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things. There's also just the fact that, I, you know, I, I see all the individual talent. I just question whether or not all of his individual talent is one of those things that where he might just be totally brilliant in a situation where his teams don't win. Yeah, like that could it could be he, he's he's an incredible player, right? But he uh, just the amount of money that it takes to get him right now basically guts your guts the amount you can spend elsewhere. And especially if he's not going to be on the pitch for half the season, because he he has he's played so little football over the last two or three years. Oh yeah, so his ankle his ankles are probably like made of I don't know like rubber bands at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't argue against that. Yeah. It's also just, I actually just find him to be kind of unlikable. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Um, can I throw one at you though? Do you see any chance of like a Man United signing him? Maybe even on a loan deal and then looking to sign him later on. It seems like a, like I could, I could see a United. They have enough money to do it. Yeah. Like the thing with United is as far as disposable money that they can actually spend, they have a lot more of it than Barcelona does. Exactly, yeah. So that's what I was thinking. If United don't get a lot of their targets and Neymar is being branded around, um, that's another one um, that that I wouldn't mind them them getting just to just to stretch their finances a bit more. Yeah, just upset. And I think he would upset the apple cart too. How do you think Neymar would take to being managed by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? <laughs> it's going to be like an Özil situation where he picks which games to play and which not to. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, he'll pick to play against us. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and that and that actually might be enough to endear you at United at the moment. Yeah, they, they've they've got low expectations. Well, high expectations, low reality at the moment. Yeah, we mean, and if you're looking for a podcast to listen to about this, um, I refer you to the previous episode of this show, which discussed Manchester United. But uh, mo- moving on to uh, north of the wall, Kieran Tierney is uh, rumored to be linked to Arsenal. The uh, 22-year-old Celtic left back, um, who could probably also—he—he's got some positional versatility. He seems like the type of guy who later in his career will probably get moved to the inside. Um, from what I've actually seen of him, because I've seen a little bit of the Scottish league, I've seen him play a little bit. He actually looks like he might be pretty good. Yeah, he—he he looks a very solid um, left back, and I was surprised at how little. Can I say that? Um, Celtic were looking to to get from him sort of around the between twenty to maybe thirty, but I'm sure twenty with bonuses could looks like it's something that could 
could be achievable. And considering how, how defensively he's very, very comfortable, um, good all-round defender. He's not going to be a defender that you speak about too much, which is probably what Arsenal need at the moment. Just someone that's going to do his job. He doesn't necessarily have to put 10 out of 10 performances, just solid sevens all out. And then obviously throw in some of the good games every now and then. But they just need stability at the moment. And that would be a very, very shrewd signing for them. Um, but I thought their bigger issues were more central in that back line. Yeah, I mean, I would still buy him if I'm Arsenal. Because it's A, he's good. And B, he counts as a homegrown player. True. I I, I would do it in a heartbeat if I'm them. He, I would do it if I was us. I, I, I mean... Think he would actually fit in well with us. I just think that he also probably want to. I, I also just think that he, you know, from his national team setup, he knows that Robertson's better than him, and he won't play much around him. So that's you know, I guess that's kind of where we would fit into that. You know, because obviously we do have to bring it back to whether or not we'd want that player because we could get almost anybody, particularly in the Scottish league. But um, yeah, but you know, we'd 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 rather focus our attention on Kylian Mbappe. Uh, but if if you're going to Arsenal. The thing that you, you, you said it right. They need a defender who you just don't talk about. Because right now, if you talk about all their defenders, um, it's not really particularly complimentary to any one of them. Like, do you think there's any Arsenal defender right now who, I'm, I'm not even going to ask whether or not you'd take them at Liverpool. I know the answer to that is clearly no. But do you think there's an Arsenal defender who gets into any of the rest of the top six teams at the moment? You'd, you'd be hard to find one. I think maybe ugh, even Bellerin as a backup he would need to be coached. That's, that's the problem with a lot of Arsenal's defense at the moment is they need someone to actually coach them. And I'm wondering what was happening, you know, with Steve Bold being assistant coach for so long. Um, yeah, but the, the two are probably Rob Holding, maybe, as a backup. Um, and then looking at Mustafi, no, Chamberlain, no, for, for what you want to do at Liverpool. Carl Jenkinson, no. Koscielny, no. Um, Socrates, no. Yeah, so the, pro- the problem Kali- is they have... Wait, do, of- you th- do you think, Kali- think Kalisinac would, uh, would be better than, uh, I don't know, say maybe... Like, would you consider Kalisinac to, to be maybe better than Luke Shaw? <laughs> um... He's, that's he's, a, to toss up a mediocrity there. Like, I'm not giving, yeah. that's, this is not like a, a complimentary question. But I, I think he, he suffers from the same problem that Moreno has where he needs to be playing as a wing back. So if you're going to stick to a 3-5-2 formation, then he becomes a really, really good fullback because he, he does hit the byline really well and has really good delivery, but He's not going to give you anything defensively, so you're going to need cover for him at the back there. So, in terms of st- a starter for most teams, uh, for a top six team, no, unless you've got a really strong defense in, in, in behind them. And Arsenal don't have that, which becomes a serious problem because he leaves a lot of space um, for people to exploit. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about because it's just I also don't particularly rate Luke Shaw very much, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I would. Uh... It's kind of, I think, where I'd go with that. Is I think that, uh, I, I think that basically, like, that's the toss up in that conversation. And, and for, and that's why you basically target replacing him. I mean, United should be targeting a left, United should be targeting a left back instead of a right back, but they're not. But, um, we don't need to go down into that rabbit hole again. 
Uh, but you know, move, moving on across the top six to uh, our our uh, our sole rival in the top six at the moment, the uh, the citizens. They've been linked with uh, three players, two of which um, they're going to pay a lot of money for, and a third player they're going to pay. They're apparently going to pay stupid money for. Um, I have seen that they are uh, close to um, trumping Manchester United's offer on Harry Maguire. And Maguire would probably join City over United, all things considered. And then from uh, Atletico Madrid, they're supposedly bringing in Rodri. And from uh, Juventus, Yao Cancelo. Um, let's have a moment to to discuss the, um, Pep Pep Guardiola, who's a who's a true underdog in, in football, right? True underdog when he's only getting to spend, I think. Uh, it's something rumored probably between those three players. That's probably about 200 million pounds, right? Underdog. Yeah. Underdog story. Love to see it. Um, I think the one thing with Pep for me is, yes, he's a checkbook manager, but he's a specialist at being a checkbook manager because it, it's a different style of management where being able to keep the morale high with all those like prima donnas or, or top earning players it's it, it's very easy to lose a dressing room like that. We've seen that at Chelsea so many times over the years, where they just down tools because you know he they don't care. Conspired to do it, so he conspired to bring in Alexis Sanchez. It just he didn't complete it. Yeah. So so yeah, and, and I, I think every manager makes mistakes every now and then, but I, I do applaud him for that side of it. Where you know, yes, people jump to say, could he manage? You know, like a Burnley, for example. And that I get, that will never be answered because I don't see Pep risking his career in that way. But also conversely, some of the managers that do really well at Burnley, for example, you know, like um, Sean Dyche at Burnley, I don't think if he had the you know the Man City team, he I, I wonder if he would be able to keep those profile players or you know. Um, motivated and willing to run the amount that City players play and play with the intensity that they play. So I think there's something to say with that. Um, it takes a special coach to coach them that way. But yeah, it, 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 it is sort of like playing with house money. So that, that is a factor. I think the players they're bringing in us, they, they're always going to spend money. You can't not expect them to. That's just their default setting at the moment. Um, Cancelo, I think, Passable right back. I don't see how he improves them that much to the extent where, you know, it becomes a really big factor. It, it reminds me of the Danilo signing where, yes, he's a good right back, but it seems like an unnecessary one considering the right backs they have at the moment. And then we move on to. They also, um, did they also Harry just Maguire. extend Kyle Walker? Yeah. Yes, they did. But if if you're a, if you're so a right, yeah, so you have three right, right backs. Oh. I mean, if you're if you're if you're one of those three guys, right? A Walker's the starter, right? And he still has yeah. the one edge. Walker, Kyle Walker will start and be good for every team he plays for until he loses his pace. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know that his technical ability is not particularly great from time to time, and there are things he struggles with, but uh, I still think he's a very good player. Yeah. Yeah, he's just, and the thing is, he he'll always have he'll always able be able to recover with the pace. <laughs> you know what I mean? If he makes a mistake, um, yeah. And moving on to Harry Maguire, I I don't know if that's the profile of player 
City, we spoke about Maguire last week in terms of playing a high line. I could see with how, how much City's fullbacks are involved in their attacking play, if, if I'm playing against them, I'm looking to bomb that ball into the space where their fullback is leaving and then dragging Harry Maguire into those deep waters out wide and looking to take him on, sort of like what people were doing with Otamendi. So I don't know if that necessarily solves that problem for them. So that will be interesting to see how he plays, if, if he goes to them, how, how that one works out. And then with Rodri, I think at, I think they've gotten to a point where they've, they've tried to replace Fernandinho for so long now that Pep was just like, you know what, screw it. We're just going to go and pay the buyout and just get the guy in now because they've missed out on so many targets that they wanted in that position. Um, and Rodri is, he is a fantastic player. I'm not going to deny that, but yeah, once again, it's, it, it just shows the, the, the financial dominance they seem to have at the moment, whether or not that's, you know, it's to be investigated. We'll see how, how that ends up. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on uh, the McGuire signing making no sense if it happens, right? And, you know, clearly it's just this is obviously a podcast that's only looking at rumors. But as far as rumors go, I can't see where Guard- I, I can't see where this actually is real because I can't see Guardiola wanting him, right? I could see City cynically signing him for their home their homegrown quota. Right. I could, you could see that, like, like the Fabian Delph signing, where Delph, uh, you know, he's mm-hmm. in the squad. He plays left back, you know, once every four months. And that, you know, that covers their homegrown, uh, quota. But I can't see where they'd actually play him. Like, I mean, well, actually, it's going to be interesting, though. Who's City's second center back now? Who, I mean, what is City going to start with most weeks? Obviously, it's going to be Laporte and one, and one other. Is it going to be a situation where we might start to see, um, Kyle Walker actually moving inside and playing, playing in the center as a center back like he does for England. Granted, England play a three five two, and I don't think that Walker has the size to play in a back four as a center back in the Premier League. But what are they going to do with that second center back spot with uh with with company gone? It basically brings you down to you have company. I mean, you have Laporte, who is the nailed on starter, and then who who who's the, who's his partner? I mean. Is it going to be Nicholas Otamendi, who, quite frankly, is kind of crap? Um, is it going to be John Stones, who looks like a like a broken player at this point in his career? And the transfer, the 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 fee is definitely in John Stones' head. Or is it going to be um, what am I thinking of? Who's the other center back that they have? Mangala still on their books, isn't he? Yes, Mangala still on books, and. Uh, Shit, there's one other guy I'm thinking of, but I can't remember off the top of my head. They do have one other center back on their books. Um, I'll have a look. But who? But the question becomes, who partners Laporte? I think the that's why, for me, I was very surprised that they didn't even sniff at going for Delict. You, you would have thought they would have been in and around that conversation to try and get him in, considering... They were losing company. I, I, I was very surprised. And it leads me to then speculate that from Deluxe Camp, they told City from the get go, we have no interest in coming to you. Um, uh, you know, as they did with Man United when Man United came sniffing around. It's just a shame for United that they went sniffing around in a public way, whereas maybe City went sniffing around in a private way and they got, you know, re- rebuffed. 
but it, it seemed like a, a natural fit for them to try and sign De Ligt and then have Laporte and De Ligt, you know, solidify that back line. So it will be interesting to see if they do fill that position up. Um, or we've seen at times for Pep Guardiola teams where he, he doesn't mind not having the best centre-back pairing. He, 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 it's, it's probably the one position in a Pep team where he thinks he can get by with an okay, def- like an okay, okay player there. So whether or not they, they do end up signing someone. Yeah. It's definitely something to keep a, a close eye on. Yeah. I, I just looked at, I, and you know what? It was just, I was actually counting five because I was counting company. That's why. Yeah. Ah, because okay. if, because right now, if you look center backs on there, it's, it's stones, um, Laporte, Mangala, um, Odomendi, and then, and, and then whoever they bring in. The other thing is, I mean, we've seen Fabinho play center back for us. Do you think there's any chance if, uh, Rodri gets in, it gets into the side earlier that, uh, you know, Fernandinho's way of, uh, kind of, you know, keep, keeping him on the pitch because they are better with him on the pitch is actually playing him at center back. I think maybe against some of the. He is small. Yeah, he is small, but I think in, it, we've seen, Mascherano. for example, Klopp play. Yep. And we've seen Klopp play, um, Wijnaldum at center back against, you know, a, a Brighton team. So there are teams in the Premier League that you know aren't necessarily going to have a go at you where you could get away with playing a Fernandinho at center back. So I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it is either. And I think it's one of those things that they, they would do. And Pep does like changing, you know, he had the Kimmich, he's got, he, he does love, you know, flipping players' positions every now and then, so, yeah. And then, uh, if we're, if we're gonna keep going around the league, the other thing that I've seen that, uh, makes very, very, very little sense to me is, uh, that Newcastle's United's Miguel Almiron to, uh, Real Madrid. Almiron was a player bought from Atlanta United in MLS in January. I can't see this. Yeah. No, I, I, it seems like just maybe his agent is looking, you know, throwing fly, uh, flyers around just to put his name out there. And if, if you're being linked with Real Madrid, maybe that gets other clubs looking at you. But considering the situation that they have with Rafa Benitez at the moment, where it looks like he might be leaving, um, Almiron came because of Rafa. And if Rafa's leaving, maybe he's now looking for, for a way out as well. He's good. Don't get me wrong. He's, he's good. He definitely was the best player in MLS when he came over. But, uh, I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he's a Galactico. And finally, no. this week, we're going to discuss, uh, a player who seems like he's not coming to the Premier League, but, uh, now seems as if, uh, he is, he was originally seemed to be ticketed for Barcelona. Now he seemed to have at some point been said he was taking the money and running over to, uh, PSG, and now he's being rumored to go to Juventus. This is none other than 19-year-old Ajax Amsterdam defender, Matthias De Ligt. What do you make of, first off, where do you think the best place for De Ligt to land for him would be? <laughs> the best place would be Liverpool, obviously. But uh, um, in terms of the three options that are there, if, if you can say, if it's PSG, um PSG, Barcelona, Juventus. I think we can rule out Man United at this point. Um, probably Juventus is the best place for him to go. Um, you just think of the experienced centre-backs he's going to be learning from at Juventus and how much he could grow 
you know, uh, in the Italian league, which is so well known for being, you know, defensively really, really strong. I think that could be an exciting place for him to go. And I can see, you know, from Juventus, you could see him eventually ending up at like a Bayern. It, it just seems like that type of, they've got a really good relationship and it seems like that type of natural progression. But learning from uh, Cellini, Bonucci and the likes would be really good for him. At Barcelona, I think he could walk into the team there and maybe if Barcelona were really smart, maybe they would be going a bit harder for him in terms of, you know, the likes of the PKs are leaving soon. So they do need to start looking at the future and maybe that's why they're looking to bring a, a Neymar back and stuff like that. Um, but they, the Barca team is getting really, really old at the moment and they, at some point in time, they're going to have to address it. So bringing in a Delict maybe does that, um, especially at the back. But yeah, I think for for him personally, the best move would be Liverpool, biased or unbiased. I think pairing him with the Van Dyke would, would be absolutely do wonders for not just their playing career as club mates, but also internationally. We see how important it is or, or how beneficial it is having international teammates playing together week in, week out. So if I'm a Netherlands fan, I'm wanting him to go there. But in terms of the clubs that are being touted at the moment, I think Juve for learning experience is is the best option for him. I think I'm with you on that. Um, the one reason I could see Barcelona as being really good for him is because of the fact that it, it forces him to have to actually play more. I, I think that he has to play tougher games in Barcelona than he does for Juve. Because who challenges Juve in their league? Like, Napoli did it once, but nobody comes close to him. So basically, it, it's, you know, you, you get to win Serie A. That's the benefit of becoming a Juve player. It seems like it's your birthright to now just win that league. But, I don't feel like you get as much of a challenge and you grow as much in the league there because, you know, the, the obvious thing that makes you grow as a player is playing more games and playing tougher games. I think playing in La Liga, which is a tougher league, will, will make him, you know, get better faster. I think that he's, which is, I, I think he's going to be fine either way because he's just a, um, seems to be a generational defensive talent. Yeah. But I guess the question is now, you know, I, I happen to all agree with you. I think his best fit is at Liverpool, but I'm going to throw one, uh, one, one swerve question out here to you. We've also been, yeah. you know, very lazily linked with Kaladu Koulibaly. <laughs> Would you rather have Van Dyke and Koulibaly at this exact moment or Van Dyke and Delict? Van Dyke and Koulibaly. I'm the same way. I'd rather take the and... guy who's in his prime and, uh, no offense to Delict, yeah. he's a great player. I, I love Koulibaly. And I think the thing is for, for Liverpool is if you look at our core players in the team, apart from obviously our fullbacks, a lot of our team is in and around the same age where they've, they've all entered their peaks at, at the same age. So if you bring in a Koulibaly as well, who's also in and around that age group, this is Liverpool's window to win as many trophies as they can with this group. And then the cycle then, you know, you have to renew the cycle again. But at this point in time, we saw last year we were on the cusp of of, of that big, becoming a dominant team. We just didn't get over the line. A few, you know, um, changes this season, and we now that team. Now we need to carry this momentum over the next three or four years 
And that's why I keep saying, you know, I, I don't know if I see Klopp re-signing because after this three or four years, it's going to be another rebuilding project as you look at the Real Madrids and the bosses have to do now. In three or four years' time, we would be entering that. So at this point in time, you want to strike now and a Koulibaly next to a Van Dijk would just murder other teams, I think. I want it very badly. I would love Koulibaly very yeah. much. Because, like, I mean, look, you, you do, there, there's advantages to both. If you sign Delic, basically, you still get the, the early prime of a defender who's going to be great pairing him with Van Dyke. And then eventually, once Van Dyke moves on, you assume then that your combo is Delic and Gomez, right? It doesn't have to be mm. Delic or Gomez. You could sign, you know, you could have both players. That's fine. It's, it's actually good to have a lot of good players. Um, it would actually give us flexibility if we've been playing in a three sometimes, which, you know, the more different ways within which we can line up and surprise people, the better off we are. And if you're bringing in a Furpo who plays as a wing back, it's all clicking yeah, together. Lot, you want a lot of different ways to play against teams. <laughs> yeah, and then just to just to uh, finish up or touch on Delict as well, I think the reason maybe I was saying Juventus is because he's so young at 19, bordering 20, is. He can do two years under a Cialini and a Bonucci where at, at 19 as a center back, you can get away with not having to play that many minutes because he's going to be around for, for at least the next 11, 12 years, considering the, the age that center backs, you know, play until. So I think that's, that's where my thinking was. If he's, if he's got a long term career plan, I could see why it would be beneficial to do two years under the tutelage of those type of defenders and then move on at the age of 22, 23. And now you can break out as like a proper starter at, let's say, like a Barcelona where you don't necessarily have mentors. Now you're becoming, you know, one of the key players. Oh, yeah, no. And, and that does like there, there are merits to both sides of it, right? Because you will play against tougher teams in yeah. Serie A, which playing against tougher teams is one way of getting better. But another way of getting better is just getting good advice from people who have done it before. Yeah. 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 But I think uh, this this takes us to the end of this week's show. Um, we'll be back with you guys next week. But uh, today, I was wondering, actually, because I haven't done this in a while. Got anything you want to plug? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um. I think maybe you caught me off guard with that one. Yeah, I think there might be a wrestling podcast that I might hop on to next week, considering there's a pay-per-view this weekend. If I'm not on the podcast, I'll definitely be in the background just helping the guys out with preparing for that one so people can look out for that one. And then um, just to plug Liverpool because we've won it six times. Yeah. Six times actually, uh, on Wednesday I get to, uh, for, uh, if you're, if you're in New York City on Wednesday and uh, from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. at 11th Street Bar, come on down. You can meet John Barnes. We'll, we'll have it, we'll have him there in person. So, uh, you know, that's, that's what I want to plug. Uh, you know, it's what we got going on. Uh, I guess from today and I, that's, uh, that's it for this week. We'll be back at you next week with, uh, you know, more hot rumors as they come off the press. Network.